turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, Psalm 90. By way of reminder, our theme for 2020 is redeeming the time in 2020. Our theme verse is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. We looked at that passage of scripture at the beginning of the year. Each month we have a different verse that goes along with that theme. And what I'm doing is the first Sunday of each month, I'm speaking on that particular verse for the month. In the month of February, we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 10 and considered a time to work. In March, we looked at Romans chapter 13, verse 11, considering a time to wait. In June, Colossians 4, 5, a time to walk. And last month, July, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 3, a time to warn. This morning, we're going to move on to the topic of a time to be wise. Psalm 90, I'm going to read verses 12 through 17 to get us started this morning. So again, Psalm 90, verse 12, it reads, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. We're looking this morning at this passage, A Time to be Wise, and we're emphasizing specifically Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Psalm 90 is the only psalm in the Psalter, in the book of Psalms, that is attributed to Moses, but it's not the only piece of poetry he wrote. There are two other songs written by Moses in the Bible. The first is the hymn sung by the Jews after their deliverance from Egypt and crossing the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army being drowned in the Red Sea is recorded in Exodus chapter 15. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 32, you have the song of Moses recited to the people before his ascension of Mount Nebo, where he ended up dying. The first of those two songs is a joyful celebration, and the second is a reminder of Israel's past rebellion against God and his resulting judgment. Psalm 90 is the most somber and the most personal of his writings. In fact, has given to us one of our beloved hymns, a hymn by Isaac Watts, our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. As we look at Psalm 90, verse 12 this morning, I'd like us to look at two things. First, the matter of considering our days, and secondly, the matter of consecrating our days. So notice with me as we start Psalm 90, verse 12, the first part of that verse, so teach us to number our days. Now, this isn't a request that we might know each day is from God and thus be able to check it off the calendar as we pass along through our life. 
No, it's a prayer that God will help us live holy lives, which is the path of true wisdom. So how do we make each day count for God? That's what Moses is addressing in not only this particular verse, but this psalm. So we notice here it says, so teach us to number our days. The word teach emphasizes we need to learn something. But what is it we should learn? Someone has said the best lessons are the life lessons that we experience. Trials, struggles, setbacks, mistakes, errors, those things we learn from circumstances that occur in our lives, they have a tendency to stick with us, don't they? It's one thing to read about an event in a book. It's one thing to hear about an activity that someone else is involved in. But when we go through a particular trial, when we face our own struggles, we can learn great lessons from them. And I believe that's what we're seeing here as Moses helps us to understand we need to learn the lessons that God offers us or God seeks to teach us. The historical setting behind this particular psalm, I believe, is best understood by the events in Numbers chapter 20. So I'm going to have you turn to Numbers 20 for a moment here. These events throughout Numbers chapter 20, and actually the events as as referred to here in this psalm and throughout chapter 20, it doesn't reflect a bitter tone. But the recognition, I want you to understand, it, it, Moses is not bitter here in the penning of Psalm 90. He's not complaining. He's not angry with God. He's simply calling to attention the frailty, sinfulness, and need for God that mankind has. He wants us to understand God is our only hope. Leupold, in writing of this, said, There does not appear to be any trace of bitterness or undue pessimism, just plain, realistic thinking marking these words. So in Numbers 20, some important light can be shed on this particular psalm and help us to understand that. What I'd like to do is just kind of take us on a, a little brief survey or a brief overview of Numbers 20 and consider three things. Three different lessons that Moses learned, and I believe what he has in mind here in Psalm 90. The first lesson would be that life is short. Numbers chapter 20 verse 1 tells us, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh, notice, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Then drop down to verse 28. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there in the top of the mount. And Moses and Eleazar came down from the mount. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron 30 days, even all the house of Israel. These two events that happened very closely to each other must have been a terrible loss for Moses. Miriam, his sister, Aaron, his older brother, had helped and served with him throughout the Exodus. In fact, at this particular time, just prior to their death, 
Miriam was the leading female character in Israel. Her, Aaron, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb were the only surviving members of their generation who came out of Egypt. We're familiar with the story, how the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt. They ended up crossing over the Red Sea, and we're familiar with that story, and God defeated a Pharaoh's army. Then they went on into the wilderness, stopping at Mount Sinai, where God gave them the Ten Commandments and, as well, instructions concerning living. We see that recorded in the books of Exodus and Leviticus, how they should live, how they should worship, how they should conduct themselves, and so on. Then as they moved northward toward the promised land, we know the story of how when they got up there, they decided to send 12 spies up into the land. Those spies came back with their report, and 10 of them said, you know, not a chance. You know, Joshua and Caleb, they were all excited. They said, well, it's it's there, ready to take. That's the land God has promised. We're going to go. But uh, the other 10 said, no, there are giants in the land. And as a result, the people accepted the evil report of those 10 spies, and they chose not to trust God to go into the promised land as he had commanded them. What happened? They had to turn around and entered into a 40-year period of wandering in the wilderness for the purpose that every adult from 20 years and upward, alive at the time when they said, no, we're not going to go into Israel or into the promised land, Every one of those would die. It was a 40-year process. That's just not an arbitrary number because the spies were in the land for 40 days. So they wandered one year for every day. The spies were in the land. You see, God doesn't do things haphazardly or without purpose. So they wandered. And historians tell us, based on what they believe the size of this company was in all And the family dynamic at that time, there could have been as many as 100 funerals a day. Can you imagine? 40 years. Funerals all day, every day. Now granted, that number fluctuated, but averaging, that's that's a lot of funerals. And now, Miriam and Aaron are dead. His family... This is a reminder to him that God's plan is moving along, that life is short, and we're not here permanently. It was a reminder to Moses that God's plan is not going to stop. It's not going to be put on hold because of our wishes, our desires, or our interests. No, God's going to continue to do his work throughout the timeline of the world, and he's going to carry out his will and plan for the ages. So Moses is reminded that life is short, it's passing, it's fleeting. And beloved, we are merely temporarily dwelling in this body of clay, this tabernacle of flesh. The soul and the spirit is eternal, but this body, Scripture tells us, is going to one day pass away, does it not? It's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. Solomon wrote, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. James said our life's but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Now a lot of you remember the days when uh, 
mom or even yourself, would put the kettle on the stove and, and you'd fill that thing with water, crank up the heat, and as it heated up and began to boil, you know, steam is, is uh, spewing out of that little uh, vent hole in the spout and you can hear it whistle and you go in there and there's this little cloud in the kitchen. <laughs> Wasn't it something though, just in a matter of seconds, it was gone. You know, the scripture reminds us that compared to the Lord, our life is just a flash. It's just a vapor. It's going to pass away. For us, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, it's a long time. But remember, one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Moses is reminded with the death of Miriam and Aaron, as well as all the other adults, that God's plan marches on and life is short. Then another lesson was that God's judgment is sure. God deals with sin. You know, the Bible tells us, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Numbers tells us, be sure your sins will find you out. As you continue down in that chapter, verses 2 through 13, I believe, you see the story of Moses dealing with the children of Israel. Now imagine, Moses, the Bible tells us, was the meekest man to ever live. He would have to have some kind of super patience to deal with that group of Jews, wouldn't he? I mean, every time he turned around, they were complaining about something. They were unhappy about something. They complained when they, they, you know, being delivered, they were excited about getting out of Egypt. Then they complained, they got to the Red Sea and they thought, this is it. Then they got over the Red Sea and they complained because there wasn't water, there wasn't food. They complained when God gave them bread. He read, ran, rained bread from heaven. They complained because of the bread. They were tired of it. God gave them quail. They complained about that. They complained about everything. Can you imagine for 40 years dealing with that? One day, he was just fed up. You see, the people complained because there was no water earlier in the book. And God told him to go out and take his rod and smite a rock to hit it. Water gushed forth from that rock, sufficient for all of the people to drink, all of their flocks and cattle and herds, plenty for everyone. Of course, that rock is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a picture of salvation. God's salvation is sufficient for whosoever will, for everyone. Well, they complained later on, as we see recorded in this chapter, Numbers chapter 20. And so what do you do? Brought it to God and God said, I want you to go and speak to the rock. Well, Moses in his... Anger, impatience, whatever it was, instead of speaking to the rock, what did he do? He hit it. And as a result of that, God said, you are not going to enter into the promised land for that one sin. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? He hit a rock. Remember I said that rock was a type of Christ? Christ was once smitten for the sin of mankind. He died once on Calvary's tree. He doesn't have to die over and over and over. He is not the perpetually crucified Christ, no. He died on the cross. He was removed from the cross. He buried. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and today sits at the right hand of God the Father on high, making intercession for us. 
Moses, in striking that rock, a second time broke the typology and thus violated God's word and God's type and God's instruction for the people of Israel and for all that would follow. Moses found out the hard way, and sometimes the hard lessons are the best learned, but he learned the hard way. You can't get away with doing things the way you want. You have to follow God's instruction. I believe that's one reason he was so specific and so clear and so deliberate in giving the book of Deuteronomy to the nation of Israel. Understand the book of Deuteronomy was was a rehearsal. It was a retelling of the history of Israel. So that that new generation going into the promised land would remember their heritage and not forget to serve the Lord. And when he was done telling them, they said, everything you said we're going to do. How easily we forget, do we not? Well, Moses learned there's a penalty for sin. God will deal with every one of us accordingly. But thank the Lord, once saved, he dealt with our sin on the cross. Every one of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we stand before him, we will not be judged for our sins. Our sins were judged at Calvary. We stand before him forgiven. Our motives will be, will be judged. Remember the judgment seat of Christ, where our, motive, our works are going to be tried by fire, and that which is done for the Lord is going to come forth as gold, silver, and precious stone. That which we do for self is going to be burned as wood, hay, and stubble and will not survive the fire. But the resulting remnants of that trial will represent rewards that we can give back to the Lord. That's a whole other message altogether. Moses learned the hard way. Sin has a price. Then there was a third lesson he learned along the way or he referred to. As you continue down in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, you'll find that as they traveled, they came to the land of Edom. As they, the Jews, this this massive crowd, as they wandered in the world, they came to the land of Edom, and they wanted to pass through their land. The Edomites came out and said, not a chance. We don't want you on our property. We don't want you crossing our land. We don't want you eating our food. We don't want you drinking our water. Moses said, we'll pay for whatever we use, whatever we consume. Moses said, we'll do anything we can to make things right with you, which, by the way, is the right way to approach things. So anyway, you'd think, well, that would have resolved it. Edomites said no. In fact, the scripture tells us they sent out a multitude of people and withstood the Israelites and prevented them from crossing. In other words, they threatened to do bodily harm to anybody or anything that trespassed on their territory. Now, the first lesson, life is short. Second lesson, sin is sure. Third lesson, opposition will come. Moses and the Jews weren't going to do anything wrong in crossing the Edomites, the the land of Edom. They, in fact, were going to pay for any anything they consumed. However, that wasn't good enough. And you know, as we live for God, you will find that no matter how hard you try to do right, to whom you try to treat well, you will find there are those who stand in opposition to you. 
This third lesson, it's one we can carry with us. For Jesus warned his disciples in John chapters 15 and 17, said, the world hated me, it's going to hate you. Paul, in writing to Timothy, said, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Mark it down. The world is not a friend of the follower of God. You think about, again, current events. It's hard to get away from all the different things that are taking place. The ongoing riots and violence and madness in in Portland right now. Have you heard the latest? They're burning American flags and Bibles. How bizarre. If anybody wants to gain support from a majority of people, you'd think they wouldn't want to ostracize those who follow God. But nonetheless, this is an anti-God movement we see sweeping across America, or attempting to sweep across America. There's an attempt to silence Christianity, just as it has been all along. Let's not be fooled. This isn't something new. This is just another phase or another level of opposition. But let's dial it down to our daily lives. We're not dealing with that right now. What we are dealing with is seeking to be a witness to people in our family, our workplace, our community. There will be some who will kindly and gladly receive the message offered. There will be others who will strongly oppose it. One of life's lessons is not everybody's going to agree with you. Not everybody's going to like what you say. Not everybody's going to be willing to go along with it. You simply have the responsibility. We simply have the responsibility to do right in the eyes of the Lord, no matter what anybody else thinks. So these three lessons that Moses learned along the way, life is short, sin is sure, and opposition is going to come. Those are three things that he referred to, that he wrote about in this particular psalm, Psalm 90. And these are things we need to be reminded of as well. I guess the question then next is, what do we do with the lessons we learn? Do we cast them aside? Do we forget about them? Or do we seek to apply those lessons, those truths to our lives? Well, that's what we see in the second part, back in our text, Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. There's purpose associated with the lessons. There's a plan that God has put into effect for the problems that come our way. You see, this is the pivotal verse in this psalm. It is a prayer for the most discernment one can have, and that is a heart of wisdom. That's what we see emphasized here. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 10, that was Solomon's desire when he became the king. He said, give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this, this people, for who can judge this thy people that is so great? Recognizing wisdom, along with everything else that's beneficial in this world, comes from the Lord. And Moses is saying, now we have these lessons learned. God help them to apply them to our lives and number our days to make our days valuable as we go along. Rob, is many folks waste time and opportunity on that which is not essential. 
a lot of talk today about what's essential, essential services, essential business, essential people. Well, in the eyes of God, everybody's essential. Everybody's important. Everybody counts. All lives matter to the Lord. And all of life's lessons are beneficial to us as Christians if we give God the opportunity to work in our lives. Let me just give you three quick things here. We can learn about this matter of applying our hearts unto wisdom. Psalm 37 verse 5 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Once we learn a lesson... Let's commit that valuable lesson to, uh, to the Lord and choose to live for Him. In other words, the things that we learn, the things that we experience, those, those things that we have to endure or go through, let's not get angry and frustrated with God and cast it aside and say, I'm done. No, let's commit our way to the Lord and say, God, thank you for this lesson. Now let's put it to work in our lives. This will help us to realize how few days we have to live. You see, counting time is not as important as making time count. When we commit our lives, when we commit our days to the Lord, it'll make a difference. It's reported that among the dying words of Queen Elizabeth I, she said this, All my possessions for a moment of time. You see, you can't buy more time. You can't get one more day, one more week, one more year. Our days are numbered. Well, God expects us to recognize the value of our time. Applying the lessons learned in life to make our days more beneficial as we live for him. Not only should we be committed to the Lord, we should be accountable to the Lord. Romans 14, 12. So, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Our character and our conduct, our words and our deeds, our plans and our possessions should all be for the purpose and accomplished with the realization that the ever-present God watches over us wherever we are and whatever we do. Psalm 139 verse 7 tells us, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Yes, we are accountable. God watches over us to care for us, but he also watches over us to direct us. And it would be beneficial for us to recognize from the lessons learned in life that when we live for God and recognize we're accountable to him, how much better things go on a daily basis. Then another way is to be prepared to serve the Lord. God has given us X number of days in which to live. Choose to serve the Lord throughout that time. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to serve the Lord at every given opportunity. Alexander McLaren once said, The only thing that will secure lifelong gladness 
is a heart satisfied with the experience of God's love. Moses emphasized this matter of teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. The inference here is it's a choice. We learn and we choose to do something with what we learn. Do we choose to benefit from life's lessons or do we choose to cast them aside and move forward at our, according to our own desire and our own will? This passage teaches us the great truth. Failure is not final with God. As you read through the entire psalm, yes, you see it's a realization of hard lessons learned, difficulties experienced, trials endured, but yet God gives the victory. When we fail, when we disobey, when we choose to follow a path of unbelief, we can be forgiven and restored. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a joy to know. You know, the Bible tells in the book of Hebrews, let us come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So many times we look at, well, let me me say this correctly. I'll speak of myself. So many times when I fail the Lord, when I do something wrong, I feel shame and feel like there's, there's no way I want to stand before God. But you know, the scripture tells us that's the time when we ought to run to him the quickest. That's the time when we so need to be near him. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Yes, Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Thank God. He is a good gracious and merciful Savior. Moses gives us a great uh, thought here concerning this matter of learning from life and using those lessons as we apply them to our everyday activity that we can have great value associated with the remainder of our days. Amen. Let me go ahead and close with this illustration. I heard this story many years ago, but it was a man who called into a, a Christian radio talk show. He was responding to a question by the announcer concerning lessons learned in life and, and valuing life. And the man said he had heard, the caller, had heard many years earlier of the importance of this verse of Scripture, numbering your days. And he thought, well, what I'm going to do is figure out about how many days I'd have left in my life. And he used the the number of 70 years as the average uh, that it's given for someone's lifespan. And so what he did is he got a large jar and put it on his uh, dresser in his home, and he put one marble in the jar 
for every week that he had left in his life up to 70 years. As he called in to that particular program, he said, he explained all of this and went in more detail, but he said, last week, I removed the last marble. He said, I realize that my life is a gift and every day I live now is a bonus from the Lord. Now, granted, with the advances in the medical industry and things, we see lifespans being lengthened. But the fact is, none of us know when we'll draw our last breath. None of us know when God's going to call us home. Oh, blessed day that will be, but we don't know. Therefore, would it not be wise for us to value our time as God gives it to us and follow the admonition of the Lord? If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What a great opportunity God has given us to live for him, to serve him. Let's take the opportunity to do so. Remember, it's been said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last.